Romans chapter 6, let's read the first five verses together, uh, and you follow along there in the Bible. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall uh, be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The title of the message tonight is part of our series, Persuading for the Savior. It's part of the great commission that we've been giving in Matthew 28. The title of the sermon is this, Baptizing My Converts. Baptizing My Converts. I said this this morning, but maybe one of the toughest commands to follow through on in the Bible. I don't want to put anyone down or make anyone feel guilty, but I want to ask you a question before we pray. All right? I just want you to think about this. When was the last time that someone was baptized because you walked them through that process? Some of you, the answer is never. And the purpose of this is not to throw a stone at you. It's to make you stop and think, what must I do to turn that around? For some of you in here, the question is, have I been baptized? Uh, do I really understand what baptism is? And if you haven't seen someone get baptized, by the end of the message, what I would like to do is show you how to go about doing that. I hope it will be a help to you. I've attended church for 35 years, an independent Baptist church for 35 plus years. I've never heard a sermon like the one I'm going to bring tonight. I hope it will help you. I don't pretend to be the first one to preach one like this, but I'm the first one that I've heard preach one like this. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that the message tonight will help all of us to have a better understanding of what baptism is, why it is important, and Lord, how to walk someone who's put their faith and trust in Christ through that process. Lord, I pray that the baptistry waters of White Oak Baptist Church would continue to be stirred regularly and even be stirred on a more regular basis. Lord, help us all to become effective in our ability. Uh, to not only convince someone of salvation, but then convince them of their need to be obedient in this area of baptism. And so, Lord, help us to be focused in on the message. Help me to preach with clarity of mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we're going to get uh, out of the, uh, by way of introduction, I'm going to get some things out of the way. You were given a half sheet of paper with an outline on it. The first few points that are going to come up on the screen are introductory thoughts, and they will not be... For your, your paper there. Feel free to write these on the back or any spot on the front that you can find. But let's jump right in here. By way of introduction, notice first of all the ordinance of baptism. The ordinance of baptism. Look down at Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5. It says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, what's that next word? You with me? Romans 6 4. That. Like That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together, those next three words, read them with me, in the likeness, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also, next three words together, in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism does not save anyone. Baptism is an ordinance. It is a picture. It is a representation 
of what Jesus Christ did for me. Okay, let me say that again. The baptismal water does not save anyone. You do not need to be baptized to go to heaven. You cannot show me one place in the Bible where someone was baptized and they had their sins washed away. Now, there's some verses in the Bible that you can go to and you may try to make that argument. But upon further review, that's just not the case. Baptism is a picture of salvation. Second introductory thought. I'll say more about that uh, later on in the message. The order of baptism. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Hold your place in Romans there. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 35. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. Here we find the story of Philip. He's been uh, stripped away from the um, uh, revival that's taking place in Samaria. People are being saved and baptized left and right. And God says to Philip, go to the desert. And he says, okay, Lord, I don't know why you would take me away from this harvest of souls and send me to where nobody is, but yes, sir, I'm on it. And so he goes to the desert. Here comes the eunuch from Ethiopia, traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. He's reading through the scroll of Isaiah. He has made it all the way to the 53rd Psalm. And I have to believe that God put Philip right in the spot where he would be on the 53rd Psalm. He could have had him meet him in Jerusalem, but when he left Jerusalem, he was on, or rather, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He could have met him in Jerusalem, but he was in the chapter 1 in Jerusalem, so he waited till he was all the way out. By the way, you ever try to read through the book of Isaiah? You'd be way out in the wilderness by the time you got to the 53rd chapter. It's a long book, okay? So he has him there. When he's in the 53rd chapter, he sees the chariot. He runs up in the chariot. And uh, you know the story probably, but uh, he says, the eunuch says to Philip, I can't understand what I'm reading unless some man show me. Will you please show me? And Philip explains to him that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is speaking of Jesus. And look with me at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, that's the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now notice the prerequisite for baptism. And Philip said, If thou believest... With all thine heart thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what was, what is the order for baptism? The order for baptism is that you must first believe. You must believe in Jesus as your only way to heaven. Once you put your faith in Jesus, then you can get baptized. You must believe first. Get baptized Second, baptism is separate from salvation. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Baptism follows salvation. You believe that? Say amen. amen. Follows. It's separate and it follows. Uh, so uh, baptism is a separate thing and it follows salvation. Um, why do we not baptize babies at White Oak Baptist Church? Because a baby cannot understand that he is a sinner. A baby cannot understand that there's a consequence on his sin and that he needs to believe in Jesus. He can't even say Jesus, much less comprehend who he is. And so uh, you, you, you can't baptize a baby. I had a conversation with a Catholic priest once and I said, show me one place in the Bible where a baby has been baptized. And that priest said, I can't. And then I had to ask the follow-up question. Then why do you do it? And he said, because we've always done it. We've always done it. What a weak 
What a weak answer for such an important bedrock cornerstone theology to the, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, why do we not baptize babies here? Because the Bible doesn't say to baptize babies. In fact, the Bible says baptism follows believing. Uh, Acts 2.41, we'll look at later in the uh, sermon, the Bible says, And they that gladly received were baptized. They that gladly received. The receiving comes first, the baptizing comes second. If you are a student of the Bible, this is a slam dunk uh, observation. Uh, third thought by way of introduction here, the obedience of baptism. We've looked at the ordinance, the order, the obedience. Is baptism commanded in Scripture? And the answer is yes. It's a hard yes. Now, for many years, I thought that when uh, people would show folks verses on baptism, they were sort of making a weak argument that baptism was commanded. Has anyone else ever felt that way, is that there's not a verse that directly says, you need to get baptized? Has anyone here ever felt that way, or, or how many of you just never really gave it any thought? Okay, um, how many of you are just so smart that, how many of you are asleep in don't understand any of the questions. Okay, uh, I feel like that's where we are tonight. Uh, but uh, where does the Bible say that you need to get baptized? Well, I can't take you to one verse that says you need to get baptized. But the body of work on the topic of baptism in the New Testament uh, strongly teaches that baptism is a must. Below obedience to baptism, these won't be on the screen uh, and we won't dwell long. But Christ commanded it. Christ commanded it. Matthew 28:19. Jesus tells his disciples. Go ye therefore into all nations and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. So he commanded them that once you've given them the gospel and they've believed, the very next thing you're supposed to do is put them in the baptistry water and baptize them. Okay? So Christ commanded his disciples, go out and baptize people. Uh, the second thing I wrote down here below, the obedience of baptism, not only did Christ command it, but Christ was our example. Why did Christ get baptized? Matthew chapter 3.13, we find Jesus being baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? Did he need to be? If, if Jesus had never gotten baptized, would have that made him less divine? Would have that, would have that uh, disqualified him from being able to die on the cross? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't get baptized because he had to. Now, Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. But he didn't, he didn't have to use that as the start point. Why did Jesus get baptized? Well, Jesus got baptized as to say, if you are of the opinion that the process of baptism is goofy or silly or a waste of time, if it's, if it's good enough for me to do it, it's good enough for you to do it. And so why is it that a person should get baptized? Well, because Christ commanded his disciples to baptize those. Uh, Christ was our example. He did it himself. The third thing I wrote down here was that the early believers did it. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I quoted a moment ago, but it says, And they that gladly received were baptized. They that gladly received were baptized. By the way, uh, you find the Philippian jailer getting baptized. After he believed, you find the Ethiopian eunuch getting baptized. 1 Corinthians 9, you find some Gentile believers attached to Apollos getting things sorted out and they got baptized. And that's a really interesting study is that they were following the baptism of John the Baptist and they decided, hey, that isn't the right baptism. We believe in Christ. By the way, if you, and I don't have it in my notes to go over tonight, but I just, I'll just throw this out here for those that want a deeper study. You can go to 1 Corinthians 18, the end of the chapter. 
in 1 Corinthians 19, the beginning of the chapter. And Paul in chapter 19 is addressing people who were followers of Apollos. And he asks them, of whom was your baptism? And they say, of John the Baptist. And he says, you need to get this straightened out. And he rebaptizes them in the baptism of Christ. Now, um, he assumed that they had been baptized. And when he saw that it was wrong, he fixed that. Why? Because baptism is essential. It absolutely is essential. Um, uh, can a Christian be right with God if they have not been baptized? I would propose the answer is no. Is no. Why? Because it is the first step of obedience. Now, when I'm explaining this to someone uh, and trying to help them see the importance of it, and uh, so this will be a little tidbit on how to explain it to someone, all right? I'll say this to them, or I'll say, um, if I told my son Matthew that I'm going to the store, and when I get back, your room better be clean, and I get home and his room is not clean... Are Matthew and I going to be on good terms or bad terms? Bad terms. He disobeyed me. If God commands you to get baptized and you don't get baptized, are you and God on good terms or bad terms? And the answer is obviously bad terms. Now, what if I told Matthew uh, to clean your room? I'm going to the store. I'll be back in about half an hour to clean your room. And I get back and he has cleaned the kitchen and he's cleaned the living room and he has swept the hallway. He went in the garage and he straightened up the garage and he was a tornado just cleaning up the house. He did all that, but he didn't clean his bedroom. You know what I'm going to do when I get home? I'm going to look at Matthew. I'm going to say, good job. Way to clean these other rooms. That's not what I told you to do. I told you to clean your bedroom. Now, get in there and clean your bedroom. A lot of Christians, they want to skip baptism and run to work on a bus route or sing in the choir or help in the nursery or do this or do that for the Lord. But they don't want to get baptized. And God says, all of that is great, but those are steps that come after baptism. Baptism is the first step. It is our command to be obedient. All right, let's jump into the outline here tonight. I've got three main thoughts. And uh, we're going to do some background study on what baptism is here in the scriptures. And then um, uh, we're going to talk about what baptism means. Uh, and then we're going to talk about how to convince someone to baptize. Number one, notice some clarification on baptism. Some clarification on baptism. Letter A below that, notice the definition of baptism. The definition of baptism. So the Greek word is baptizo or baptize, baptizo or baptize, and that word means submerge, consume, fill. Submerge, consume, or fill. I believe baptizo is submerge and baptize is consume or fill. Uh, but they're all so close uh, in uh, their definition that they're, they're almost one. Okay, but that idea of submerge, consume, or fill. Uh, I just I need to say this in the sermon somewhere because it's a sermon on baptism. Has a baby been baptized if all you have done is drop some water droplets on its forehead? By the biblical definition, has that baby been baptized? No. How many of you here uh, were, were, were by the Catholic definition, the Roman Catholic definition, how many of you were baptized as babies? Would you raise your hand? Okay, can I tell you that you didn't actually get baptized? 
I saw a video of a priest over in another country taking newborn babies and going, ba-dum, 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 down in the water. And those of you that are listening audio, not seeing, he was dunking the babies fully into the water and then pulling them back up. It's amazing he didn't kill a child. Um, uh, but uh, that, would be, that would be baptizing, but that's not scriptural because they weren't saved. Okay, But in most Catholic churches, they take some water droplets and they, they, they put it on their head and they say they're washing away original sin. And, and that, again, that doctrine is just not in the Bible. To baptize someone means that you, they must be submerged beneath the water. By the way, Acts chapter 8, they went down into the water. And, uh, and, and the eunuch was submerged below the water. Jesus went down into the Jordan River and was submerged below the water. So the definition of baptism. Letter B, notice the duality of baptism. The duality of baptism. Uh, uh, let me give you letter A, John's baptism. Or below that, John's Baptism. Now, turn over with me to Matthew chapter 3. If you've never done a study on baptism in the New Testament, you might be thrown for a little bit of a loop when you get into Matthew chapter uh, 3 and some of the other places in Acts where it talks about John's baptism. Now, you'll never find the word baptism in the Old Testament. You'll never find the concept of baptism in the Old Testament. People did not get baptized uh, in the Old Testament. It was not part of Judaism. Baptism was introduced, the idea of baptism was introduced by John the Baptist. And he was the forerunner to Christ. He was the cousin of Christ, and just a matter of a few days older than Christ. And he came on the scene, and he was bringing in this concept of baptism. And this baptism is not practiced anymore. This type of baptism is... Is not practiced anymore. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse number 11. Hopefully I read the right verses tonight. I was all over the place this morning. Matthew 3 verse 11 says, I, I, I indeed baptize you with water. Look at those next two words. Unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoe I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. More about the rest of that verse in a minute. Baptism unto repentance. Now you go through Mark and Luke and then you go into Acts. And this phrase of John's baptism under repentance is repeated over and over and over and over again. And you may ask, well, what does that mean? And the best I can gather is that John was baptizing people. And in that baptism. That, that, that was an act of saying, I repent for my unbelief and my belief in a coming Messiah. That act of baptism was tied together with believing. And the window of time for people to be baptized in this way was just a matter of a, of a couple of years or less. This would be done away with with Christ. Uh, but John's baptism, the duality of baptism in Scripture. Sometimes when you read about baptism in the New Testament, you're reading about John's baptism. Baptism And John's baptism is not practiced anymore. Well, whose baptism do we practice? I love when the Bible alliterates itself. Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and look back at verse number 11. And um, uh, the second half of the verse. But he that cometh after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear... 
Then we get this peculiar phrase, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we have uh, we have two different baptisms here. So the duality is John and Jesus, and then within Jesus' baptism, there is its own duality. You have Holy Spirit, or rather Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost baptism, Remember when we said the word baptism means either submerge, consume, or fill? Christian, what happens to you when you get saved? Somebody moves inside of you. Who is it? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. He consumes your heart. He fills you. You're no longer walking around. Please understand that before anyone is to get baptized in a baptistry pool like that one to my left, they are first to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are to be baptized by the Holy Ghost of God who consumes you, who fills you. That is symbolic of what happens in here. There are all kinds of symbolism we'll get into in a minute when it comes to you getting baptized or a person getting baptized. But one of them is a show or a statement that the Holy Ghost has consumed my heart. I have been filled by the Spirit of God. Holy Ghost baptism. Now, here he says baptism of the Holy Ghost or fire. What does that mean? Okay, one day Jesus is going to return. And if you haven't been baptized by the Holy Ghost, you will be baptized by eternal hell fire. You understand that? You'll be consumed, submerged with fire. So you get to choose the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the flames of hell. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the flames of hell. What other baptism is Jesus associated with? Well, water baptism. Water baptism. Go back to Romans 6 where we began this evening. Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 3. It says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. This is, if you read the context of the passage, this is very clearly talking about a water baptism. A water baptism. And so there is this baptism of the Holy Ghost, this baptism of water. And we are commanded ourselves to be baptized. We're commanded to get others into the water to be baptized. Number one, some clarification on baptism. Number two, a commitment in baptism. A commitment in baptism. Look at Romans chapter 6. Let's read from verse 1 down through verse 5. And we're going to read these verses several times tonight because I really want them to sink into your head. Listen here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was buried, or rather raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice letter A, an inward decision, an inward decision. 
decision. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and verse 37. Uh, I'll read them if you uh, would prefer not to turn over there. You're welcome to turn over there if you'd like. Acts chapter 8, 36 and 37. Again, we're back with the Ethiopian eunuch. It says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain place, a certain water. And the eunuch said, uh, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest, with what? With all thine heart, thou mayest. With all thine heart. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know what that statement was? That was a statement of an inward decision. An inward decision. Now, I've been a part of churches that would just about baptize anybody. They, they would say, well, uh, it's better safe than sorry, and get them up there and baptize them. And, and one ministry I was in, I mean, there were kids that had been baptized, kids that rode the bus had been baptized 10, 12, 15 times. And it was bad, okay? It was really, really bad. And that particular ministry was huge. And one year they had something they called the year of the baptism. And their goal was to see 25,000 people baptized. They did it, but I think maybe they only baptized about 18,000, and the other 7,000s were repetitive. I, I don't know. There was a lot of re- weird things uh, going on. But can I tell you here at White Oak Baptist Church, we're very careful. We're very careful. We want to hear the testimony of someone who's made that decision, that's put their faith and trust in Christ. Before you can be baptized, there needs to be a reckoning of your sin, debt with God, a turning to Him, an admission that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and a belief in the heart to call on His name. No one here is baptized without meeting with someone on our leadership team and first being baptized, whether that's a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, but nobody here is baptized until that has been checked. And that is known that they have made that inward decision to believe. An inward decision, letter B, notice an outward expression. An outward expression. Um, now, I'm going to say some things below uh, this point that um, uh, may be different than you've heard before, but I believe that, that is the spirit of Romans 6. First, let's look at its symbolism. Its symbolism. Look at verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. I want you to picture someone in that baptistry water right here. How many of you here have seen someone get baptized at our church? Has everyone seen that? Is there anybody who hasn't seen that? Okay, maybe there's one or two that haven't seen it. But I want you to picture someone's in that baptistry water. And here is the water and here is their body. What what does that form? That forms a cross. When you get into that water, what you're saying is, I identify with the death of Christ. They go under the water. Well, look at verse 4. What does the going under the water symbolize? Is an outward expression of. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. All right, and then they come up out of the water. What is that a symbol of? Uh, look at, uh, uh, keep reading verse 4, uh, or rather look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be, uh, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So here you are coming up out of the water. That is a picture of the resurrection of Christ. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Can this water over here, Can this water over here 
I'm, I'm, I'm always afraid to touch this water because it's static electricity. It has happened to me more than once, okay? So if I get shocked, don't be surprised here. Is this water right here holy? Is it? If I walk around and sling it, okay, is that going to make your life any more special? No. Is there any ability to wash away sins in this pool? If so, I'd be the most holy man in the church, because I've been in there more than anybody here, okay? Um, and no, there's no power in that water. Uh, uh, let me ask you a question. Is there any um, uh, power, uh, marital power, in my wedding ring right here? Is there? Okay, I took it off. I could set it right here. It'd fall. I set it right here. I'm no longer wearing my wedding ring. Am I still married? Somebody said no. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, let's see here. Matthew, give me uh, yeah, your, your fourth finger of your left hand. There you go. Uh, Matthew's now wearing a wedding ring. Does that make Matthew married? I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, but I've already been baptized. Well, that's like putting a wedding ring on before you get married. You say, well, I already wore a wedding ring. So? Didn't mean anything. You got wet. Okay? It, it makes no difference. Let me have that back before you lose that thing. All right. This, the power in this ring is what it symbolizes. You with me? This symbolizes that I'm committed to that woman right there. And if there happens to be some desperate woman who sees me and has any character about her, she'll look down, she'd have to be desperate by the way, but she looked down at the fourth finger of my left hand and she'd see this ring on my finger and she'd say, I think I'll pass, he's already taken. I wear this everywhere I go because I want my wife to know that I am committed to her. Baptism is an outward expression of my inward decision. It is an outward expression of my inward decision. It's symbolic. Now, not only, now this is what you may have never heard before. Not only is it symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it is symbolic of my death to my flesh. Me burying the deeds of my flesh and me agreeing to walk anew with Christ. A commitment to Christ. Go back and look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. And what you'll find is the verses are saying that I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to bury the deeds of my flesh. And I'm going to walk in newness of life. That means I'm making a commitment to leave this sin, my sinful past, my sinful habits behind and walk anew in Christ. Letter uh, below that, notice it's seriousness. It's seriousness. Now, please understand what I'm about to say here. For you to get in the baptistry pool, and for you to get someone to get in the baptistry pool, without having thoroughly talked to them about this and explained this to them, you're doing that person an injustice. They need to understand that this is a big deal. Look at Romans 6 verse 1. What, and so, so we provide context. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3 through 5, give us, give us, uh, or 3 through 6, give us this idea, 3 through 5, give us this idea of the process of baptism. I always felt that 3 through 5 was sort of oddly placed until I understood it's placed where it's placed for a great reason. What this is saying is, are you going to have gotten saved from your sin, hop in the baptistry pool, and then get out and then continue to live in sin as though nothing happened? Boy, you better not do that. You getting in the baptistry pool is you saying, Lord, I identify with you and I am committed to walk anew 
as a new creature in you. Look down. Look down at, uh, look down at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And you can read on down. The thought continues to be developed all throughout chapter 6. But what it's saying here is getting baptized is a big deal. And you need to take this very serious. You need to take this very serious. Number three. We looked at some clarification, a commitment. Number three, notice our command to baptize. Uh, I know you all here are familiar with the verses, but just indulge me and turn over to Matthew chapter 28. As far as I know, it's the last place I'm going to have you turn today. Matthew 28 and look at verse number 19 and 20. These are verses that are read at just about every missions conference. These are verses that are read uh, by the pastor two, three, four, five times a year, quoted even more often than that. All of us here should be very familiar with these verses, but I want you to lay your eyes on it, and I want you to focus on it, and I want you to understand that this is the last command given by our Savior to us. His last command is our greatest call. His last command is our greatest call. Now, before we read these verses, let me just make this statement to you. If you were to come to my deathbed, and I were to call for you, and I were to pull you down close, and all I could do is whisper, and you knew I was the dying pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, and I had called not for just anyone, I had called for you, and I brought you real close to my ear, and I was going to give you one last request that I wanted you to help carry out as the part of my legacy at White Oak Baptist Church as the pastor. And I, and you and I had a great relationship and I were to whisper that in your ear. Now, everyone in here, or most everyone in here has heard me preach dozens at this point, hundreds of times. And all of my words that I've shared with you from scripture are important. But can you understand that that last dying plea maybe would have a little more value to it than the rest? Here Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he tell, he's got one last shot at his disciples. And right before he leaves them, this is what he says. This is far more important than, uh, than everything else that he shared. This is their commission, their command. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded unto you, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If there's one area that I have seen all of the churches I have attended growing up really struggle in, it's this idea of having a plan to get people down the aisle and get them baptized, and then a plan to to disciple them, to teach them, an organized, structured plan to teach them. And um, I don't want to say too much because... Uh, I'll, I'll reveal too much for uh, 2020 here, but um, uh, the Lord has been working on my heart for a couple of years now about our church's lack of a structured discipleship program. I believe that this is something every church ought to have. It ought to be that someone like a Vince sitting back here comes into our church, he gets saved, and there's a plan to get someone like Vince into the water and getting baptized. That's happened. All right, and I'm using Vince because he's our most recent convert, but for, but I, that could have been you when you first got here, or you first got saved and started attending church. Is there a plan to take someone like Vince and 
and carefully walk him through and teach him the doctrines of the Bible? I don't think we have that here. In fact, I'm the pastor. I know we don't have that here. That is coming. All right? Uh, stay on your toes because a planned, structured discipleship is coming. But uh, as a young man who's grown up in the Baptist movement, I'm going to tell you we have struggled. We've been good at going out soul winning. We've been able to get 10, 15, 20, 30, depending on the size of the church, 50, 60, 80, 100 people to go out soul winning. But how about after someone bows their head and gets saved, that you get them in here to get baptized? How many of you be honest and say, that's something that I've struggled with? How many be honest? That's something I've struggled with. Um, uh, until I became a pastor, I struggled with it too. In fact, I went four years through Bible college. I saw uh, a couple of hundred, if not more, people bow their head on a Saturday and pray to receive Christ as their Savior. I saw this many walk the aisle and get baptized. That many. And uh, there may have been more than that, but at the moment I'm not remembering more than that. And I might remember more later. If I did see people baptized, it was less than ten. You know why? There wasn't a structured plan to teach me how to do it. Now, I want to ask this question. So I'm not throwing stones or trying to make anybody feel bad. But I want to ask this question. Would God give us a command that he wouldn't equip us to, know how to, 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 to be able to carry out? Would God command us to do something and then not give us the ability to follow through on it? Of course not. And so if we're not getting people baptized, is it God's fault? Or is it our lack of ability to have learned and and, and do it? Obviously it lands on us. I want to give you tonight a strategy for you to not only see someone get saved, as we've covered in the messages in the week past, but also how to get them down the aisle and baptized. I have an A, B, C, and a D here, and we'll finish up with this. Letter A, explain. Explain. Okay, so you've led someone to the Lord, or you know someone who's been saved but not been baptized. You guys are not really participating tonight. Maybe it's just because you just don't know. I don't know. I'm going to ask everyone to participate in one of these two questions, okay? First question is this. How many of you know someone who is saved but never been baptized? If that's you, would you raise your hand? You know someone who's saved, never been baptized. How many of you here don't know anyone who is saved and not baptized? Would you raise your hand if you don't know anyone like that? You don't know anyone like that. Okay, fair enough. If you just raise your hand to the second question, then there will come someone across your path at some point who will need to be baptized. If not, and you're out actively sharing the gospel, you're going to lead someone to Christ, and that person will need to be baptized. Now, the majority of you raise your hand to the first question. Can I tell you something here? They'll never get baptized if you don't explain to them what baptism is and why they are to get baptized. A few weeks ago, I put an app up on the screen, a video of an app up on the screen, and it was of an app for your phone called Commission. If you've not yet downloaded that app, let me encourage you, if you have a smartphone, to download that app, put it on your, put it on your phone where it's easily found. Within that app are all of the verses about baptism laid out in an orderly fashion. You can sit down with someone with your cell phone and you can show them all the questions about baptism and how to get baptized, why are they there to get baptized. You need to explain it. Use the wedding ring illustration I used a few minutes ago. It's a perfect parallel. This is nothing more than a symbol. 
that's nothing more than a symbol. This identifies me with my spouse. That identifies me with Christ. This uh, is an outward expression of my inward decision. That is an outward expression of an inward decision. And so use the wedding ring. Talk about how that it is a symbol. Talk about how that it follows salvation. It's after salvation and it's by immersion. But they will never get baptized until you explain it to them. Sit down with them when you think they're ready and explain it to them. Now, real quick on this, uh, let me tell you, uh, generally, if I, I used Eric a couple of uh, weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, but let's say again, I led Eric here to the Lord, and Eric prayed and got saved. Um, uh, if I've taken 20 to 30 minutes to share Christ with Eric, he needs to let that settle into his head. I've thrown a lot at him. He just made a life, eternity altering decision. And so for me on the heels of that to hit him with, you need to get baptized might be a little much. Might be a little much. No, maybe not. Maybe Eric had already heard the gospel and maybe Eric was on the brink of salvation for years and it took me five minutes to get him through the prayer. And so then in that moment, maybe it is time to talk to him about baptism, about baptism. The spirit of the Lord will have to lead you there. But on average, if you had to take 30 minutes to lead someone to Christ, you probably want to come back and talk to them about baptism another time. All right. Going back here to Brother Vince, he got saved. I gave him, uh, we as a church gave him plenty of time to make sure that he was saved and uh, worked through that. And then after all of the dust had settled from that decision, I went to him and sat in his living room and, and uh, talked to his parrot. He's got a parrot. That was really neat. And then, um, and then he prayed, or rather we talked about baptism, and he was ready to do that. But no one is going to get baptized if you don't take the time to explain it. And so learn how to explain it. Practice explaining it. Find someone who doesn't understand it and explain it to them. Letter B, notice, expose. Expose. What do I mean by expose? I mean they need to see someone get baptized. All right? Uh, here's something that's really neat. People get baptized regularly at White Oak Baptist Church. Now, sometimes we'll go three, four, five weeks and someone won't get baptized. But other times we'll go two, three, four weeks in a row and someone will get baptized. And so if you hear that someone's getting baptized... And you know that uh, the person you know needs to get baptized, get them to church so they can see it happen. It's a lot easier to get someone baptized who's already been in the church building and has seen someone else get baptized. So expose it to them. Next Sunday morning, we have two baptisms lined up and there may be a third. But at the moment, we have two baptisms lined up. So you may know someone that needs to get baptized. Get them here. Let them see it. Let them understand the process. Look, it's okay for you to come up here after church and take them back into here and show them our changing rooms and show them the towels that are in there and and uh, take them and, and touch the, the water and show them it's warm. It's not warm right now, by the way. We're, uh, we're working through some mechanical issues, but by next Sunday, Lord willing, it will be. But show them that the water is warm as it is 48, 49 weeks a year. Um, uh, but, but expose them to the process and and help them to see it the third uh, uh, sub point here is the word excite excite boy get them excited can i tell you something people are not going to be excited if you're not excited if i were to walk up to eric and say eric the bible says that we're supposed to be baptized eric you're gonna be up there from all those people you me nervous when i got up there about I about passed out. But it's commanded. 
you have to do it. You want to get baptized, don't you? He's not going to want to get baptized. You, you, you got to build it up. You got to build him up. You got to be a little bit of a salesman. You know, we all know how to be a salesman when it comes to something we want, right? Uh, some of you men love tech. And the new iPhone comes out or the new Samsung phone comes out and you run home and you, you sell pitch your wife on why you need the newest phone. But then when it's time or the newest tool, uh, or the, or the, 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 the muscle car or for, uh, some of you, uh, folks, the, the, the latest book that's come out. Ladies, you can sell pitch your husband on why you need a new dress or a new earrings or a new purse, uh, whatever it would be. But when it comes to the gospel, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. You can pitch your boss on why you need a raise, but you can't pitch someone on why they need to get baptized. You know what it comes down to? Get excited about it. Listen, there's very little more exciting than watching somebody that you led to the Lord or somebody you went after and you convinced them and they get up here and they make a decision to get baptized. Oh man, it puts a smile on your face. It doesn't go away for a very long time. And so get excited about it and get them excited about that and help them uh, to overcome that uh, fear. Letter D, the last one is expect. Expect. You know why it is we don't see a lot of people baptized? Because we don't really expect to see a lot of people baptized. We just don't expect it. It's the farthest thing from our mind. We're not dwelling on it. And uh, we have to expect it. Now, it is ultimately, it is ultimately the Lord that's going to draw people uh, to a place of, uh, of, of, of decision with that. And we don't need an arm twist. Uh, we need to make sure the Lord is drawing them to that decision. But when the Lord draws them to that decision, boy, we need to be ready for it. When, uh, when I got here, we made the decision to have the baptistry filled all three services and ready to go. Can I tell you that costs the church a little bit money, a little bit of money. Some churches will empty the baptistry and they'll only fill it if there's a scheduled Baptism, And I don't like that because then you're not living in a place of expectation. We want to be able to offer to the people here that if they're ready to be baptized and they've been dealt with by a church leader and they're ready to go, we want them to feel invited and excited about that Sunday they can come down extemporaneously and get baptized. We've had that happen a few times. I remember uh, uh, Justin that came for a short time. He sat right here. You remember sometimes he'd take his hoodie off and... He was, he was a little wild. You all remember him. And he had some mental hang-ups and things. But Justin, Brother Verone, led him to the Lord uh, on a, a Sunday morning, I believe it was. And, and uh, we had already let service go. And Brother Verone says he wants to get baptized. So we called everybody in out of the lobby we could. And I believe there was an event going on upstairs. And we pulled everybody up from down there. And, and we baptized them. You know why? We had the water ready because we were, we expect that to happen sometimes. I remember um, Jason uh, Belize's sister Janice. Janice, uh, she she got saved and then came in uh, a couple of months later on Wednesday evening and said, "Tonight's tonight. Tonight's tonight. I'm in baptized." And I said, okay. We sat down before the service. We went over it with her. She was ready. We put her in the water, and she was baptized. Just today after the service, a sweet young lady who's lined up to get baptized uh, next uh, uh, next Sunday morning came to me, and we sat down on the back row, and with tears coming down her cheeks, she told me how she got saved, and, and uh, she said, I'm ready to get baptized. We have a spirit here in our church leadership that we expect those waters to stir. We expect them to stir. Is that spirit present in your heart with your converts? 
Are you, are you explaining to people? Are you exposing them to the process? Uh, are you excited about the prospect of someone getting baptized? And are you living in a place of expectation uh, for people to get baptized? But let's follow through. Let's do our part to not only lead people to the Lord, but do our best to get them in the waters and get them baptized. Lord, thank you for this evening uh, for a chance to look at this topic. And Lord, a, a unique sermon, not one that's preached very often, but a very necessary sermon. And so, Lord, as we seek to bear fruit on the tree of our life, as we seek to reproduce ourselves and others, Lord, would you help us to do our part to, uh, Lord, not only see people saved, but through the process of getting baptized and then disciple. Lord, we love you. Lord, may we commit uh, to show you that love in our action, our faith in our action. In Jesus' name.